0: Welcome to the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is the Out of the Park podcast series. We invite you to join us for other programming you can find on our website at www.franparkcenter.org.
1: Join us. I'm Wes Abram, the director of the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life, a program that's housed at Pinnacle Presbyterian Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You are joining a podcast as part of our occasional series uh, at the Park Center on Holy Humans. Our guest today is Dr. Lorraine Brew. She is no stranger to Out of the Park podcast. She has done two or three for us already on global music. And today we're going to take her in a little different direction. Lorraine is Senior Research Professor of Music at Valparaiso University. She has a distinguished academic and church and church music career, having served on both sides of that line and integrated uh, as a director of the Valparaiso Institute of Liturgy, uh, as professor of um, music and university organist at Valparaiso, as having been a church musician in several settings. Lorraine has graduate degrees in both music and theology. And brings that kind of uh, synthesizing sensibility to her work. With that introduction, Lorraine, welcome back to Out of the Park Podcasts.
0: Thanks, Wes. And to the listeners, I appreciate being here. I'm honored to be here now speaking on a different subject today.
1: You have talked about global music with us before, but now I want to push you to the theological side. Of your brain. Is that the left or the right side?
0: Um, I think it would be the right side.
1: The right side, okay. (laughs) Being
0: that I'm very left handed.
1: (laughs) Let's move over to that side and talk a little bit about um, what uh, you're thinking about as you have been putting together a presentation that you actually will be giving here at Pinnacle Presbyterian, not part of the podcast series, but actually a series of lectures that are inspiring this series on Holy Humans, largely looking in the context of Lent at saintliness, at how we reflect or think about the spiritual life through biography or autobiography in the life of the Church. Churches sometimes called those saints, sometimes called those examples, sanctified. We tell stories that they idealize people's lives as forms of lessons. But um, tell me about your thinking about, as a Lutheran scholar, about saintliness.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's my Lutheran, I've been Lutheran uh, since I entered my professional career. I grew, grew up in the Methodist Church, so I came into Lutheranism through church music and learned about... Um, the festivals and commemorations of saints that Lutherans still hold dear and have gradually learned uh, to see th- their value that, that they set for us an example of the kinds of people that we want to um, both honor and emulate, and so I've, I've come to think a lot of this whole idea. When when I heard the pinnacle was going to talk about the idea of saintliness, I thought initially, well, you know, Calvin wasn't a big fan of saints, or certainly not of, of praying to saints, and so then I started to think about what it, what it would be for Presbyterians to be thinking about saintliness. So that's been a fun assignment.
1: So for the non-Presbyterians uh, listening here, who's Calvin?
0: Yeah, so John Calvin was one of the major reformers that's contemporaneous with Martin Luther, and they were working in separate geographical areas, but both working to rid the church of some of the violations of the Catholic church that were keeping people from really participating fully in the church. But they went in different directions. Luther and Calvin went in different directions. And John Calvin, who was a... French lawyer, did most of his work actually in Switzerland, and tried to return the church back to its New Testament origins. So he, in some ways, was a very radical Mm -hmm. reformer in that he wanted to really strip down the church of anything that was not essential, anything that didn't come out of the New Testament.
1: Well, if you talk to somebody who sort of comes or identifies with the traditions That he gave birth to sometimes sort of caught up in that broad term reformed tradition uh usually often they'll say well one difference about the reformed christians that they don't have saints we don't have saints like the catholics have saints and i think we have to correct that sometimes because we do have saints we just think about saints a little differently as do lutherans right how do we think about saints
0: well as as i understand it now having (laughs) looked at calvin's ideas Calvin was friendly to the idea of saints, but thought that their perpetuation stopped in the apostolic era. Hmm. So he would say, you know, the disciples were saints, but the those Catholic saints who were beatified beyond that were not. So I think he believed in the idea, but he wanted to tamp down um, what the Roman Church was doing in expanding that.
1: What was he afraid of? <laughs> in other words, what was he criticizing?
0: Well, yeah, what he was criticizing is that he was afraid that people understood saints as someone that they could pray to. Mm. And certainly the Catholic Church does have some of that in it. Uh, prayers to Mary are still, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't know if popular, but they're still allowed in the Catholic Church. And people prayed to saints for miracles and things. And Calvin wanted to get rid of that idea, also wanted to get rid of the statues in the churches, which he felt were idols.
1: So he was a humanist?
0: No. Ah. No. He was absolutely a Christian, (laughs) um, but he wanted, he wanted, he was looking for a purer form.
1: But we, we still look back, well, even Calvin is an example even in this tradition we look back at exemplary lives from which we learn or we lift up as people that who either influence how we think of the world or provide examples of how we should also live aren't those saints
0: absolutely and i think whether we call them that or whether we call them examples uh, exemplars or heroes mm-hmm. i don't think matters so much but i don't think we have to shy
1: away from calling them saints if we have a saint like that do we have to idealize their life or can we look at someone as an example or an inspiration for us in all of their humanness even their brokenness
0: yeah absolutely in their humanness and brokenness and i think even when the roman catholic church beatifies people now Mm -hmm. they don't uh try to say that this was a perfect person and through the through the history too uh, that has never been the idea of saints, but that they did particular things that um, qualified them in the Roman Catholic system uh, to be beatified.
1: Then where did we get the idea, at least in popular culture? Maybe I'm wrong in saying this, but but I think sometimes we have a sense that a saint is someone who's perfect. Yeah. And we even criticize someone, don't be such a saint.
0: Yeah, right. I don't know where we got there, but I think that actually is a barrier. Same thing with the word holy. Mm-hmm. We um, are hesitant to call ourselves holy because we're not perfect. Hmm. And I think that's that's a problem. Holy people are not perfect. And uh, all of the saints that we can find in history, I'll be talking today about Archbishop... Oscar Romero, Uh, and Harriet Tubman, hmm. and neither of them were perfect people and never claimed to be, never thought of themselves that way, and the church recognizes that.
1: Can you talk a little bit about them?
0: Yeah. I'm going to use Archbishop Romero as an example of the process of Roman Catholic beatification. He was assassinated. He was the archbishop Mm -hmm. uh, in San Salvador, El Salvador, and... um, was a part of the resistance movement to the government. He was also a liberation theologian, and all of those things were anathema to the government. Hmm. And he was killed by um, government snipers while he was performing Mass in hmm. 1980, October of 1980. And so the beatification process in which he was beatified took until 2018. So he was beatified finally, um, was that, almost 40 years after he was murdered. And that's because there are these qualifications that in order to become uh, certified <laughs> Roman Catholic saint, you have to t- tick off all these boxes, including performing miracles. And one of the difficulties with Romero was that only one person came forward to say that... Um, Oscar Romero had healed his wife, this man Mm. that came forward, and uh, she had uh, fallen into a coma during childbirth. And um, this person came to Romero, Romero prayed, and the woman recovered. So that was counted as one miracle, but no one ever came forward with a second. Hmm. So that's a problem (laughs) in the system um, until the next pope, well, Pope Francis is the one that made it happen. Pope mm-hmm. Francis came forward with the idea that because he would be categorized as a martyr, which is uh-huh. you have to have a, a significant a label of the kind of saint you are. And since a martyr can get beatified with one miracle, that that would satisfy the requirements. So it was oh. really Pope Francis that oh. made the process complete in 2018.
1: Now we... We also, we tend to think of a martyr as someone who dies for their convictions. Correct. But martyr, right, in the New Testament, the word, the Greek word for martyr simply means witness. Hmm. Anyone who gives a witness to or Hmm. uh, their life as a testimony to a certain set of convictions and beliefs wouldn't, in some ways, wouldn't, at least I'm talking as a Protestant here, but Oscar Romero, just the resilience and persistence of his witness to social justice in a context in which there were all kinds of forces and reasons for him to back away from that. When I think of all the ways, I back away from my beliefs sometimes. Absolutely. And he was not simply... um, His murder while performing... uh, His political murder while performing Mass might not in the end be the power of his witness, but his words as well, right? Isn't that a miracle? Isn't it a miracle to... Resilient witness, is that not a miracle itself?
0: I agree, absolutely. I think if in the Roman Catholic process, it does have to be an actual miracle that mm-hmm. someone reports that this person did. But yes, in, in um, reality, I certainly agree with you. But there are these hoops that yeah. you have to jump through.
1: So Harriet Tubman.
0: Harriet Tubman is an example of a woman who jumped through no hoops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she... Um, She's an example of the way Protestants now Mm. use the festivals and commemorations Mm -hmm. calendar that um, Protestants, um, Episcopals and Lutherans particularly, but but, uh, perhaps other denominations too now, Um, have created their festivals and commemorations calendars, Mm. which consult the Roman Catholic saints' calendar, but add people like Harriet Tubman, who have no way of qualifying because she wasn't Roman Catholic. Um, She was a slave herself, and then became, um, after she escaped through the Underground Railroad, she became um, a person who helped others and she helped about 300 others to escape until slavery was abolished. Hmm. She was a member of the African American Episcopal Church, at, who do not recognize saints. Hmm. But uh, these other Protestant denominations have decided that that she should be honored in this way. And the reason I chose her is because her commemoration day hmm. was just earlier uh, last week on March 10th.
1: Ah. Who would you choose? who hasn't been recognized yet by the church?
0: Wow. Well, that's a very interesting question. Um, I, I have to give that a, a little thought. You know, who, who comes to mind? Um, Bishop Tutu just died, uh-huh. right? So perhaps he would be an example of someone who can't can, cannot be canonized by the Roman church, uh-huh. but I would bet that the Protestant churches will pick up that, his life, and mm-hmm. canonize
1: him. You know, I have not told you I was going to ask you this question, but even in your own life, is there a name that wouldn't be recognized by other people who yeah. you would lift up, even if it's only people in this room listening to this podcast who you'd like to know has been a saint for you?
0: Yes, and and that's one of the points I want to make this evening, is that we that having our personal saints Mm -hmm. is just as valid as any church Mm. recognition. And yeah, um, a mentor for me who just died a couple of weeks ago was Mark Bangert. Mm. He was an example for me of a consummate church musician, a theologian. He Mm. gave me some opportunities, my first opportunity to interact with African church music when he brought a Tanzanian musician to the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago, was my first toe in the water of learning a little bit about African music. So he became an important mentor. He ended up being a reader on my dissertation. on my So he was on my dissertation committee. And he just died a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So he is, for me, um, a mm-hmm. hero, a mentor, and a
1: saint. Well, I'm glad we've. this is an opportunity for you to say his name yeah. and tell us that story. Yeah. I wonder too, as we've been talking in this series about why we call some lives holy and some not, and then thinking about how, what are the universal things across these lives? I wonder if you'd agree with me that one of them is surprise, that people's whose lives, however we tell their stories, include something unexpected, a heroism, a, a word, an insight, a living out of conviction, doing something that's not predictable—is that part of what draws us to people's lives as examples?
0: I think that's that's interesting, and yes, I think uh, someone who's holy is always open to the, as you say, the unexpected, and to going where they didn't expect to go, mm-hmm. to being led where they didn't expect to be led. I think of people like Thomas Merton. Mm-hmm. The Trappist monk who left uh, you know, a very busy life to go into seclusion and then becomes uh, an anti-war activist, mm-hmm. and, and how he was led to that, where he would have never guessed that. Um, yeah, so I think there's an element because a person who's holy is open to the nudge, wh- yeah. wherever and how they feel it, that goes beyond their own boundaries.
1: You know, our first speaker in this series was Tom Dolan, who is Roman Catholic, and we talk, talked about Francis de Sales, and trying to retell his life and his justification for beatification, the Catholic process of became, being named a saint, and tried to justify his beatification on different grounds than what the Catholic Church did at the time of his beatification. Hmm. He was beatified as a opponent to Protestantism. Hmm. as a defender of the faith against the protestant heretics hmm. and yet tom re found in his life that over his life he grew to a point of of advocating reconciliation and gentleness and arguing against violence and he said that growth is the grounds for his sanctification huh. and which led me to thinking about maybe saintly lives need also to grow that we tell So often we try to find one thing about a life, but a saint tends to, even people like Mother Teresa and the like, they grow over time. They're not the same in the beginning as at the end. Yep.
0: And I think that another aspect of that is a willingness to let go of their life, whether it be their possessions or their status. Um, I think most of the people that I think about as being holy Henry Nouwen, for example, that I'm sure you mm-hmm. know too, who left an academic life to go live at the large communities and work with the disabled, that they they all gave up something huh. in order to follow what they felt was, you know, the nudge inside. That it cost them. It cost them.
1: I've, you know, we've all met people along the way who have lost a public life. No, that's the wrong way to put it. They have... Given up their dreams of a public life for the sake of a private obligation. The parent of a special needs child. Um, the the person who takes care of their partner as they die for years. Yeah. Those kinds of quiet sacrifices. As you say giving something up for the sake of something higher or greater. right? Um, who aren't known, who aren't named, right. but are saints to all the people around them. right? Yeah. I mean, how do we... As the church, how do we valorize those lives yeah, and not fall into hero worship,
0: yeah.
1: but worship nobility, sacrifice, um, virtues rather than celebrity and branding? Yeah,
0: yeah. saints in obscurity, more yeah. or less. I think I th- I think a good task for the church is to lift up those things and not the people specifically, but that those are the tasks of the Christian life. And for most of us, it happens in a very obscure and unnoticed way. But it's no less than the spiritual mm-hmm. saints that we look look to in a more universal way.
1: So how do we live a life such that we notice those people?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still working on that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I think of just over these last couple of weeks here in Phoenix, Mm -hmm. we've seen just a parade of celebrities that that, Hmm. the culture, you know, idolizes from the Phoenix Open to the Super Bowl and then this week the Academy Awards where we have Mm -hmm. all the movie star celebrities and those people are on our screens 24-7. And I think... If we could do something to mm-hmm. balance the fact that those are not our celebrities, or if they are our celebrities, they're only partial, but that our values are towards these holiness virtues
1: mm-hmm. um, or saints, <laughs> or saints. I just I do worry about the church sometimes when we trying to keep up in a culture of acceleration and distraction and alienation and amplification of everything around us that. We lose the chance to see the small or to hear the whisper I know um, I know, or to notice the saint perhaps
0: and and the um the urge to be competitive with those loud mm-hmm. and screamy voices is is a large temptation for the church, but I think the church has to keep modeling something else yeah. that that we are a subversive, if you want to call it that mm-hmm. culture within our capitalist culture. <laughs>
1: and somehow to to live within that culture while still creating space for those subversive moments, those ig- irregularly placed spots mm-hmm. or those nicks, those small places where something happens mm-hmm. that is surprising, mm-hmm. that is tender, that is gentle, that is presi- resilient and powerful.
0: Maybe uh, by noticing those things in each other, we can just simply encourage one another in those values. You know, I notice, um, you know, in when we meet for choir rehearsal, mm-hmm. for instance, there tends to be small talk, uh, just kind of to break the ice, and people will talk about things like the restaurant they went to. Hmm. And I, I wish, I wonder if instead, we could generate conversations that would be more about how is your life and how mm-hmm. can we support one another. In living a more, um, I don't know if honest, I don't think we, we t- intend to be dishonest, but a more worthy Christian life. Mm-hmm. And But that's hard. That's hard because we walk in and we just went to, I don't know, McDonald's or something. And so then we yeah. start talking about Big Macs. <laughs> And it's hard to get to the real conversation, I
1: think. And we do fall into, and I think Protestants do this a lot, and in, in maybe it's our way of compensating for not having saints f- officially <laughs> or formally, <laughs> that we fall into a kind of heroic spirituality where we think we can prove our worth by accomplishing great things. And so we tell these stories of these extraordinary stories of great accomplishments, of, you know, of miracles, and of this and that and the other thing, and, and I wonder sometimes if they're just distractions from that texture of the day-to-day, mm-hmm. where, um, and so the day-to-day gets depleted, mm-hmm. the day-to-day, instead mm-hmm. of lifted up and seen as a context in which we can do saintly things.
0: Yeah. And I think for me, I know my own ego and my need to be important and to be Mm -hmm. seen as productive and gifted and talented, whatever it is, um, is hard for me to drop. (laughs) And so just to be, just to be me, just to be who I am as God created me, usually I've got plenty of barriers up there before.
1: Well, I just felt critiqued in a good way for Lent.
0: Hmm.
1: Good. A lot to think about.
0: Oh, well, very good.
1: But maybe we leave it there today. What's your last thought about all of this?
0: Well, I love thinking about these (laughs) things, and maybe even just thinking about them and talking about them is a step along the way, and so I hope the listeners will do the same thing. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for being here. Thank you. This is the Out of the Park podcast series from the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life. Stay tuned for additional episodes in our series, Holy Humans.
0: Thanks for joining us at our Out of the Park podcast series. If you like this program and would like to check out more, go to our website at (laughs) www.framparkcenter.org.